This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and belated Happy New Year. This is the first go-to grandma show of 2023. I'm your go-to grandma, Kathy Buckworth, and I'm either glad you're back this year or happy to be welcoming new listeners as we explore everything today's grandparents are experiencing. From travel to tech, fashion to fitness, nutrition to nurturing, we've always delivered fun and facts, and this new year will be no different. The focus for today's show is on our brains. Now, don't be worried. This is a good thing, even if you haven't quite finished that morning coffee. I promise it won't be painful. I'm going to be speaking with author Hilda Otsby about a book she co-authored with her sister, Ilva. Hilda is a pop science writer, and her sister is a clinical neuropsychologist. Together, they wrote a book called Adventures in Memory, The Science and Secrets of Remembering and Forgetting. Is forgetting a bad thing? Maybe. I was also fascinated with the evidence and theories they presented around false memories. How does that happen? Hilda joins me from Oslo this morning. One of the things that might be forgotten in your life, or at least lying dormant, is your sex life. Shh, yes, it's okay that I said the word sex. This is a show for grandparents, remember? How do you think we became parents, leading us to become grandparents? Dr. Lori Brado is going to tell us about her book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness, and if mindfulness can be used as a treatment for sexual problems, particularly with older women. Mind over matter? Maybe. And some math for your brain. Did you know that 25% of Canadians who are 60 today can expect to reach the age of 98? We're putting the financial brains at RBC to work today with our Take 5 with RBC interview on how to plan for a longer-than-expected retirement. This is a great way to kick off the new year and to kick our brains into action. Of course, I'm drinking coffee right now. And of course, I'm hoping that you have your drink of choice poured as we get into a brand new episode of Go To Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Hilda Otsby is up first. Hilda Otsby is a pop science writer published in 21 languages. She lives in Oslo, Norway. The book Adventures in Memory was written with her sister Ilva, and her book The Key to Creativity is to be published in English next year. Good morning, Hilda. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, all the way from Oslo, Norway. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So your book, Adventures in Memory, The Science and Secrets of Remembering and Forgetting, I found absolutely fascinating, particularly forgetting. And I'm just going to read a short phrase from your book here, a short paragraph. If we don't forget, the storage space in our brain fills up. For most of us, some memories have to depart to make room for new, perhaps more important ones. Still, forgetting is something we fear. Forgetting is aging. It's decay and impermanence, a memento mori. When the days pass and we cannot remember them, it means we're one step closer to the end of life without anything to show for it. That's how we think about forgetting, isn't it, for the most part? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, we fear memory, no, uh, forgetting so much that we don't appreciate how forgetting is like, it's like it's sculpturing our memories. The forgetting, right? Exactly. So the things that we forget uh, makes the things that are important to us much more visible for us. Right. So you praise the human capacity of forgetting instead of looking at it like something that's negative. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we also convey the story of Solomon Cherishevsky. He was a Mimo artist 
in uh, Russia in the 1930s. And he had an immense capacity for remembering, but so much so that he, he, he wasn't even able to forget the things he didn't want to, to remember, right? Right. So it's a lot of things we need to, re- to forget that aren't that interesting to us. Our memory is uh, governed by three uh, laws, you can say. Mm-hmm. One law is that everything that is very emotional and stand out is very memorable to us. And uh, our memories are very kind of selfish. So we, we remember best the things that are really directly connected to yourself. That is why it's so difficult to learn stuff you just hate or think right. is unimportant. <laughs> and our memory is uh, also, we seem to cluster things that are very normal, our everyday life. It's... Uh, uh, it, like every time you go to the bus, right? You, you know that you have taken the bus and you have a vague memory of how the bus looks inside when you go to work. But you just collect all these memories in one kind of collective bus memory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, and that is important because you don't want to remember all the trips on the bus to work, right? Nope. <laughs> so you want to remember the things that are really important to you, like your wedding or uh, the first time you saw your newborn child or, you know, the Mm -hmm. really important stuff. It has to be sculpted out of forgetting. Exactly. So you're right. We need to forget some of these things. You refer to memory as a science fiction writer. Can you tell me about that? Yes. It's possible to talk about uh, memory as uh, or our brains are (laughs) constructed like a science fiction writer you know science fiction is based on the things you know about science right now and then we project it into the future times thousand kind of uh, we we visualize uh, cars that are floating in the air that is how somehow how our memories are constructed uh, we don't have a memory just to be nostalgic about the future the past we have a memory to to construct visions of the future. So our memories is just a building block for our visions of the future. So we know something about the past and then we just project that into the future and uh, uh, and try to make a prophecy of what is going to happen. And how we know this is both because when children start to remember their own past and make stories about what happened yesterday, they simultaneously they start to plan for the future, just as much for the future as they remember from the past. From the age of kind of two, hmm. you, you start to make stories about the past and then at the same time uh, planning for the future. And when we scan brains while in activity, uh, we can see how uh, it's the same system in the brain activating while you remember something uh, as well as when you think of the future. It's the same system. It's a time machine and it goes both go, goes both ways. Yeah, and it can also, I, I loved reading about the false memory, sort of the phenomenon of a false memory and how that comes about. I found that absolutely fascinating and I've been through it. I mean, I'm sure we all have where somebody remembers something completely different the way that you do. Um, and I found that part of the books really interesting. Yeah, it's both interesting and a little disturbing, yes. of course, that it's possible <laughs> to 
to remember stuff that never happened to you. Yeah. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and the reason for that is um, our memories are not set in stone. Every time you uh, retrieve a memory, you start building it anew. Uh, for example, my first kiss which I've been been through a lot. I've been talking about my first kiss several times. And every time I pick up this memory, I kind of try to rebuild the situation in my mind. I don't really remember what I was wearing, for example. Mm -hmm. So I just dress myself up in what I usually was wearing at the time when I was 14. It was very innocent, etc. And I'm just, yeah, trying to dress myself. I have a purple sweater in one one edition of my first kiss <laughs> is with a purple sweater and and one is, is with a kind of plaid shirt but uh and, and this is how all memories are constructed but that means that we we always have all these building parts for making new memories because all memories are made right mm -hmm. when you retrieve them so uh but the reason we know so much about false memories is because of Elizabeth Loftus, which is one of the most famous psychologists in the world today. And she did a lot of research on false memories. And she made false memories in her subjects. Oh, interesting. So she, yes, she made people remember. That is her, her most famous experiment, was one where she made people remember that they had been forgotten by their mother in the supermarket as a child. And it never happened, of course, but people could describe it very vividly, how it happened. The relief when the mother came back, the tears, everything. Wow. Because they got all the building blocks for that. And we know how it could feel to be forgotten at a mall. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, she also kind of really massage this uh, false memory into her subject's uh, memories. Well, I found the book fascinating, Hilda, and I could speak with you about this for ages, but unfortunately I cannot. So I would encourage everyone to go pick up your book that you wrote with your sister um, called Adventures in Memory, The Science and Secrets of Remembering and Forgetting. I think we're going to look at some of the memories that we've been clinging to for a long time in a whole new way. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Dr. Lori Brado is a professor in the UBC Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and a registered psychologist. She is also the executive director of the Women's Health Research Institute of BC and holds a Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health. Her research focuses on developing and testing psychological and mindfulness-based interventions for women with sexual dysfunction and those who experience chronic genital pain. She has two books on the topic, Better Sex Through Mindfulness, How Women Can Cultivate Desire, which shares the science of mindful sex, and then a more recent 2022 workbook, Guiding Readers Through Mindful Sex Exercises. She is a strong advocate for empowering women to take on leadership roles. Good morning, Dr. Brado. Thanks so much for being on the show today. 
Thank you so much for having me here today. So your book, I really enjoyed reading your book. I learned a lot and it comes, of course, you just released a workbook to go with it as well. But I wanted to start our interview just by reading a quick paragraph here. Research shows that women who believe that age diminishes sexual desire and sexual activity are twice as likely to experience low sexual desire as women who do not hold this belief. What's more, women who had lost hope about the future of their relationship were two to three times as likely to experience sexual pain and low sexual desire as women who still felt hopeful about their relationships. So interesting. Mm-hmm. And directly relates to our minds, right? It sure does. It, and it really emphasizes just how important our beliefs about our sexual health and our sexual vitality are in actually predicting how we age well sexually. And in fact, the research shows that those beliefs we have, whether they're optimistic beliefs about continuing sex through age or more negative beliefs about sex ending at a certain age, that those beliefs are actually more powerful than the impact of hormones and physiological change. Isn't that interesting? So besides our mind, which obviously is playing this key role and, and, you know, main focus of your book, what are the top reasons for sexual dysfunction in older women? Yes, so certainly low desire among the different sexual difficulties is the most common. So low desire is typically expressed by a person who says, I'm no longer interested in sex, I no longer initiate, I don't respond to my partner's advances. And when those difficulties continue for six months or more, they can be pretty distressing to a person and certainly to their relationship as well. Lots of research has tried to understand what are the main causes um, there are quite a few, but as a as a psychologist in the field, one of the first things I look at does pertain to stress. So what I mean by stress is the chronic day-to-day grind, the never-ending mm-hmm. to-do list. And we know that chronic stress has an impact not just on how we feel in terms of our beliefs and our feelings of being able to cope, but also physiologically. So the stress response system in the body starts to act a little bit differently when we're under chronic stress in a way that directly interferes with our ability to feel sexual pleasure. Hmm. It's so interesting. Um, and you've been interested, obviously, in mindfulness as a treatment for sexual problems for some time. So how does that work? Let's start, let's start at the beginning and, and you can tell me about that. Sure. So mindfulness has existed for a very, very long time in in Eastern meditation, but it's really been the last 40 years we've seen this beautiful resurgence of of, um, more secular mindfulness in Western healthcare. And essentially what mindfulness is, is a practice that involves present moment, non-judgmental awareness. So essentially it's about paying attention on purpose and in a compassionate way. So over the past few decades in our research, we've evaluated mindfulness-based interventions, typically in groups. We bring in groups of women with sexual difficulties, whether it's low desire or pain with sex or women maybe who've had a history of sexual abuse and now really struggle to stay present during sex. And we've taught them in session the mindfulness-based exercises, and then they go home and practice these on their own. And our research indicates pretty pretty clearly that not only is there quite a powerful effect um, immediately after they finish the eight weeks, but they are so motivated to continue practicing these exercises that a year later, they continue to benefit, not just in terms of their sexual desire, but also other aspects of their quality of life and relationship happiness as well. So interesting. And you just indicated there are the groups of women that come in, they go home and they do the exercises and the mindfulness training, I guess, for lack of a better word, by themselves. But what about then incorporating their partner into mindful sex? What are some of the strategies there? 
Yeah, so there there are a variety of different practices that can be done together with a partner. So one is actually a, a very, very old practice uh, called Sensate Focus, developed by Masters and Johnson. And it's a non-sexual but really quite intimate practice uh, that I highly encourage people to, to practice on their own, even if they don't have sexual difficulties. And it involves one partner touching the other person head to toe, not for the purposes of arousal, but just for the purposes of the person receiving the touch, really tuning in and and fully feeling the sensations in a non-judgmental way. And then they switch. The other person touches for 15 minutes. And then we can progressively make those touches a bit more intimate, a bit more sexual as the couple progresses. And it's a really powerful uh, way of not only staying present, but managing anxiety and really tuning into what actually does arousal feel like as it's emerging. Right. And I think, you know, we, we I just had a guest on the show last week talking about menopause and how that changes uh, women's mm-hmm. bodies, obviously, and how we feel about ourselves. How does that play into all of its sort of sexual dysfunction or, or the changes in how we think about ourselves sexually? Yeah, so one of the changes that happens during the perimenopause is fluctuating estrogen levels, and that can directly uh, impact the the vaginal wall, the layers of the the vaginal lining, in a way that makes sex hurt. And so, of course, if penetration hurts, whether it's penetration from intercourse or other kinds of stimulation, then you're you're not going to want it as much. So that's one of the hormonal ways that perimenopausal changes impacts desire. But there's lots of also other psychological changes, changes in body image, maybe retaining more fat, Mm -hmm. despite eating really well and exercising. There can be cognitive changes, again, with those estrogen fluctuations. There may be memory changes, et cetera, in a way that just makes a person feel more distractible, which, again, can directly impact their ability to be quite present during sex. So the perimenopausal time is a time where we, we really want to be paying attention to sexual health and making sure that women get the help that they need to to continue to experience sexual pleasure. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. I mean, we're not the same person we were years ago, and we continue mm-hmm. to evolve and change. And I think what you, you know, what you're saying about just being present really makes such a difference, being aware of what's happening with yourself and with your own body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so th- that's a place to start. You know, one mm-hmm. doesn't need to engage in an eight-week program. Right. <laughs> start every day practicing just, you know, carve out maybe it's five minutes of your meal or while you're standing in line uh, or what have you is just practice being really present and just tuning into the body and then start to generalize that ability into other parts of your life, including your sex life. Well, thank you so much for this today, Lori. So interesting. Of course, if people want to learn more, they should pick up your book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness, How Women Can Cultivate Desire, and the accompanying workbook that you just released this year as well. And we can find you, of course, on social media at Dr. Lori Brato or lauribrato.com, your website. Thanks so much for joining the show. I really appreciated this chat. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Take care. Stuart Gray is Director, RBC Financial Planning Center of Expertise. Stuart and his team of 17 financial planning professionals support over 2,900 accredited financial planners in RBC's retail branch network. Stuart is a certified financial planner, and he joins me today to talk about financial planning and the importance of estate planning and wills. Good morning, Stuart. Thanks for coming back on the show. We're going to pick up part two of estate planning and wills and our part of our Take Five with RBC series. So 25% of Canadians who are 60 today can expect to reach the age of 98 years old. With increasing longevity, you may need to manage age-related issues and related costs during a longer retirement. So what should our listeners be aware of? Now, this is a really important consideration, Kathy, because I think everyone thinks, well, I'm just going to stay in my home. 
Mm-hmm. And that is the general preference. Uh, about 83% of Canadians in a, in a recent study said they would choose to stay in their home and pay for health care as their top choice. But I think the important thing to consider here is what are the actual costs associated with in-home care? Uh, for instance, in the province of Ontario, you might need somebody to help you with meals and cleaning. That could be anywhere from 10 to $45 an hour. But if you needed a registered nurse to be in either part of a day or, or for a full shift, you know, that could be the upwards of $100 an hour. So we're looking mm-hmm. at some pretty significant cost outlays or cash outlays in order to remain in your home. So I think if you wish to stay in your home as long as possible, that's, uh, that's fantastic. It's comfortable. But you really need to do, do sit down with a financial planner to make sure that you've considered the financial impact of that option. Uh, and have a plan in place that will help support your desired alternative. Are there any additional considerations by either jurisdiction or geography? Yeah, this is one that uh, every province has different rules Mm. and different coverages and and different rates around long-term care and support and in-home care. Uh, Even even, uh, nursing home costs are different province to province. Uh, and what may be subsidized or not. So really is important to consider that if, as you uh, are putting a plan together, but also if you're considering moving. Mm. Uh, so a lot of people uh, have worked in Ontario, let's say, for a good portion of their lives. I spent a good amount of my career in, in Atlantic Canada, and I'll probably go back there once I retire. So you've got to be looking not only where you are today, but where you might be as you retire or downsize down the road. So important to take those considerations into place and a, a financial planner can help you work with that. That's great advice. I never thought about, about the moving, you know, once you retired. So how does one go about addressing all of this proactively? What should be included in a fulsome financial plan to ensure that our wishes are respected and enacted? Well, I think the first one I just said was, you know, engage a financial planner to talk about mm-hmm. what it is you want to do, and, and they'll help you look at the costing of that and, and review your resources that you have available. Uh, they'll help you with the costs and, and any implications you may have thought of and any jurisdictional issues like we just brought up. You know, I, I think going back to our previous episode, Kathy, it's making sure your estate plan is up to date and your financial plan is a, is a portion of that. Make sure your beneficiary assignments are, and insurance policies are there. Uh, for this one, really important to make sure that you've, you've got those really those enduring powers of attorney in place. Um, we often think of powers of attorney for uh, for financial needs, uh, but there are also uh, powers of attorney for for your health needs and, and your life needs as well. And they may not be the same individual. The critical piece is there. You got to set it up in advance. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be planning and considering what these are before you. Um, becoming capacitated either mentally or physically. And again, as, as I think we talked last time, it's how do we start the conversation so you can always reach out to an advisor. But we also have, a, a in collaboration with World Trust, a partnership with Epilogue Wills, which is an online will and power of attorney provider, uh, which is a great place to start. Uh, and uh, as an existing RBC client, uh, our clients benefit from a 20% discount. So that's the reason to get started today. We need to get this done right away and we need to go to rbc.com slash online wills for all of that information that you just mentioned. Thanks so much for Stuart. It's such an important conversation to have with our families. Excellent. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Take care. 
Sex, Lies, and Videotape is the name of a 1989 movie from Steven Soderbergh. We're all audio here, but maybe our brains have been telling us lies about our past and our sex lives for years. You have to read Dr. Brado's and the Otsby Sisters books to find out for sure. You have until you're about 98, remember? Next week on Go To Grandma, it's all about words and music. Author Adriana Barton tells me about her book, Wired for Music, A Search for Health and Joy Through the Science of Sound. And I learn how to tell if one is truly tone deaf. Personal research for my husband. And if you took piano lessons when you were six, they may still be helping you with your thought patterns today. How important is it to read to your grandkids and helping them to become lifelong readers? I think you know the answer to that already, my well-read listeners, but I'll be chatting with a charitable organization called Telling Tales, whose very mission is to encourage kids to pick up books and how grandparents can help. And our Take 5 with RBC interview will look to the future, the RBC Future Launch Program to be specific, their largest ever financial commitment to help young people, like your grandkids, prepare for the future of work. Thanks for dropping in today. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your go-to grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.